It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the Hadit podcast on this 11th day of March 2015. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And uh, uh, Stretcher Technician, I think he's out there somewhere. And today our guest speaker is uh, Bob Walsh or Robert Walsh. And uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, attorney fees. It seems like they're on hand that uh, there's been a lot, of, a lot of talking about attorney fees, what's right, what's wrong, and this and that. What happens if your attorney powers you, or what happens if you power your attorney? Uh, Bob, can you get into that with us a little bit? Oh, okay. Um, before we do that, let's put that on the list, and, and I'm, I'll cover that. But what I wanted to, one thing I wanted to do a shout-out to everybody, There's a, the VA released a form uh it, the the date on it's June 2014, but I think it really sort of hit the streets in January this year. And um, it's a really important little form, really useful. It's a 21526 small b. And what it does is, uh, you know, you got that 21526EZ, which is the uh, a fast claim, you know, to turn in a fully developed claim. Uh-huh. But what this little form does, it's called a veteran supplemental claim for compensation, and it's the form that you need to do. There's a lot of confusion at these ROs, you know, you turn in a claim. And, for instance, if you're diabetic and you, you turn in a claim uh, for neuropathy in your feet, and, you know, you'll get the stupid decision back says, well, there's no sign you had any neuropathy in your feet while you're on active duty in Vietnam, so you lose. See ya. But what this form does is allow you to declare that as a disability secondary to my existing service-connected disability, and you can spell it right out, see, and the computer can read it because you know the VA workers down there in the regional office aren't going to. So... <laughs> That gives you a leg up, see, because the computer read it and put it in the right in the right box, you know, called it the right thing. So this is a good little form. It's up on the system, but if you don't know the number, you couldn't look for it. So that's it, 21-526B. And we've had a lot of confusion lately. We've been getting letters back saying, oh, well, you know, this condition, uh, you know, it wasn't shown in service. And you, uh, I said, look, the man's... Service connected for diabetes type two. He's got neuropathy. This is, you know, and we said that in, you know, in the letter. But this replaces the letter. You check the box so they look in the right place, and I think it's going to be a big improvement. So there you go. That's a good one. Twenty-one dash two. No five, five. two six five two six B. Small b, yeah. I'm going to email it to you so you can put it up on the website. So it's a PDF form. 
Now, one thing, uh, another little thing I want to mention, it's tax time, right? A lot of the states have implemented property tax abatement for the disabled veterans. And it's each state is different, and in Michigan they did it, but then each government entity, each township and city is handling it a little bit different. But one thing they did in Michigan, they didn't make it permanent. In other words, you have to go in every tax year and renew it, or it goes away. Now, of course, we feel that for these older veterans and the people that are ill, you know, somebody ends up in a nursing home and forgets to do it or can't get to do it, then they it drops off, they lose it. But um, anyway, uh, you need to check. A lot of these laws are new. Check around because people don't even know about them. So... Um, they they didn't we we sent every one of our Michigan veterans when the law changed here we spent about $100 in postage and sent everybody a heads up and say hey this law's out there and and it turns out one of our guys for instance he'd gotten remarried and he'd been married about 10 years and he went over there to the township clerk to get to get his tax break and they said uh, they shook their head and pointed to the door and said get out Says, what do you mean? Says, you don't own this property. Some woman owns it. <laughs> and he'd never been put on the deed with his new wife. Oh so, my! So man. they had to come running in real quick. We had to draw him up a deed so they could get he get on there and get his tax break. So these little things happen. Of course, if you rent, you rent, you know, and you don't get it. But if you if you do own property and it's in your name and it's your principal residence. Uh, uh, now, the other deal is, uh, you know, declaring your principal residence. If somebody's got a place out in the country, you know, a farm with a lot of property tax onto it and some little tiny place in the city with not very much, I might be sort of interested in declaring the farm my principal residence and getting the tax break on that. But that's all strategy you'll have to take up with your tax people. The other thing I want to do is a little heads up that I tell my, my folks is, uh, they ask about, well, do I have to file income tax? And, and you know, compensation money is totally excluded. It's excludable income. It's not, it doesn't count as income under the federal income tax. But here's what I tell them. File your taxes every year, especially the younger folks, because that if if you go to get a loan, and we have that problem around here all the time because we're, you know, being a small business, we're self-employed, <clears throat> and when we go to get a loan, we have to come in and, and give them 10 years of our back tax filings and, 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 you know, the birth certificates for every child, every born in our family and all kinds of stuff because we're, you know, we're a small business and we don't have a, you know, work history. We're not working for a company or something like that. So it's best to file that tax, that federal income tax, even if it's a one-pager, an EZ, but just to have something in there and it uh, it helps build up your credit score too so that's that's another reason all right now let, let's uh also another little thing came out in the news this uh did you guys see this deal on this manager down in Indianapolis that uh uh was sending around the email of the uh making fun of of veteran suicides sure did yeah oh, that, okay uh, well i Somebody sent me uh, uh, an indication that the national commander of the VFW was asking that that person be terminated. Now, my 
my late father, my late mother, and I were have all been at one time or another VA employees. I was a VA staff attorney for a couple of years. My mother was a service chief, a physical therapist, and my dad worked uh, as an aide at the Battle Creek VA back in the in the uh, 40s, right after the war. So we're kind of a VA family. I mean, I you know I've been around the VA and. You know, it's not about political correctness. Everybody's going to, some people are going to be howling, saying freedom of speech. You know, when you take a paycheck from somebody, you sort of give up a little bit of freedom of speech. So if you want to stand there and if you want to criticize GM, for instance, uh, maybe you want to sit around at the poker game, you know, on Wednesday night and, and say what a bunch of idiots run the plant amongst your buddies, that's fine. But if you want to put it on an email, you know, on the company computer, and somebody notices, they might whack you. You know, you might you might get handed your your pink slip, and you can't really be too unhappy about that. But again, it's not to me. All this kind of stuff is not political correctness. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that you can't criticize the VA. You know, I've defended whistleblowers. I I love whistleblowers. I think that. Uh, internal criticism is the is the best kind because it's the, it's really the the most focused and most informed criticism you're going to get is from the people inside trying to make the thing the organization work better. But that's not what this was, and so to me that this is you know this is something where somebody ought to be terminated forthwith. There's everybody, you'll hear everybody talk about, well, there's all kinds of protections and you've got to go through all these procedures and everything. And, you know, my, I, I guess I use the, this is spring training with baseball and I'll use the old Branch Ritchie story. Branch Ritchie was at spring training and, and, uh, they, uh, he had a boy on the team and, who was sort of slowing down come the end of his career, and he called him over. He says, uh, Bubba, we're, uh, I hate to say it, but uh, we're trading you. Well, uh, Coach, who who you trading me for? He said, nobody, Bubba, and we think we're going to have a stronger side this season. So maybe they won't trade her for anybody, and they'll have a stronger side. And uh, so it's all about the mission to me, and uh, I think she obviously was not focused on the mission. And so the answer is uh, she ought to go. I was told that the national commander of the VFW asked that that happen. I think that's not an unreasonable request. And and in spite of all this due process and all these protections that are there, my my position as a as a former VA attorney and as a person who's defended these cases is, well, yeah, there are all those protections. Put her on administrative leave and get her off the property and let her go home and, and, and think about it. But uh, that's enough due process for her. All right, so that covers those uh, little um, items in the news. Now let's talk about attorney fees. Okay. Uh, uh, attorney fees in the VA are, are highly structured. There's a lot of rules and they're just like social security fees. And the VA kind of set it up like social security. Now here is the here's the fundamental cornerstone of 
of fees for work on veterans' benefits cases now. We're not talking about a dispute about a hospital bill with the VHA, and we're not talking about, uh, you know, a federal tort lawsuit or anything like that. We're just talking about benefits claims. Okay, let's keep it narrow so it doesn't get confusing here because there's different rules for different things. For Social Security benefits, you sign a contract with your attorney or claims representative because both the VA and Social Security Administration allow non-attorney representatives who are accredited to to enter into contracts for fees and to charge and collect a fee if they win the case. Okay. So those are remember those are federal laws. So there's a federal statute that says, and and it it happens to be in. In VA land, it's 38 United States Code 5904. Okay, that's where you go to look for the rules. You can Google that and go right in there and look at the rules. Now, up until the time of the Veterans Judicial Review Act, when the, when COVA, when the court was created in 1988, the the old twenty dollar rule was in place. Now, what was that? The twenty dollar rule was that a, that uh, you'd go to your local attorney if you were a Civil War veteran or a veteran of the Spanish American War. You'd go to your local attorney, give them a twenty dollar gold piece, and they would write up your claim for you. And these claims each had to go through Congress and be a uh, a little bill. They were actually each each person had a little bill. They I guess they bundled them all up into a bunch. You know, they'd say, well, here's the here's the veterans pension bill. You know, and they'd have maybe a hundred guys on there that they'd vetted and proved, and they you know well, these are the ones we're going to approve, and they'd shoot them through, and they'd reject some of them, send them back for more work or whatever. But that was a twenty dollar fee that you could that you could pay the attorney or somebody to help you write that up. So then the Vietnam Veterans of America, as you guys know, wanted to have a veterans court because of Agent Orange and all the problems that they were having. The American Legion, I understand, didn't want to and fought it tooth and toenail. They wanted to have the the big, the other service organizations, the older ones, they wanted to have the VA be a department of the government to have a secretary. Okay. So when you have a... Department of the Government, you know, you sit in the cabinet. That's a cabinet. They ele- So they were going to elevate the administrator of the VA up to secretary level and, of course, create a command staff and spend a lot of money. But the Vietnam veterans said, we, we want this court. We think this court's going to do more good than, you know, having a big title and, and having a big fancy staff at 810 Vermont. Well, Congress decided that they'd do both. So in 1988, they did both. Now, when they elevated the VA to a cabinet, by the way, a very important thing happened. They had The VA had had an exception to the Administrative Procedures Act. They weren't controlled by it. 
which means that they could make up rules internally whenever they wanted, and they didn't have to publish them in the Federal Register and do all this notice and com- comment rulemaking, you know, where they, you guys have sent you know, letters in and complained about proposed regulations and things. They didn't have to do that. They could just do everything in secret, and then just uh, these are the rules. Well, you, yeah, you changed them. Well, yeah, we did, but so what? You can't do anything about it. So that little thing changed. But the other thing that, that changed was that somebody you know, in the back of the room put their hand up and said, oh, you're going to have a court. Yes. Well, if you have a court, you know, sort of like ham and eggs, you know, along with the eggs comes the ham, along with the court come the attorneys. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So what are we going to do? He says, well, you've got to amend 5904, and you've got to get rid of the $20 rule. You can't have the $20 rule. No attorneys are going to work in the court for $20. So then VA General Counsel all got together, and they all said, you know, probably with the VSOs, You had to. You, you can. You can always act pro bono. You know, an attorney can always volunteer their services. So if an attorney's volunteering their services, they can jump in and they can volunteer their services anytime, anywhere. It's fine to give your time away. Nobody cares about that. But if an attorney is going to charge and collect a fee, they have to be admitted to the veterans court. They have to be in good standing, and they have to enter into a fee agreement, a written agreement with the with the veteran. And my fee agreement runs on for seven pages, and most of us just blah, blah, blah stuff. But some important things that are in mine that are mandated to be in all of them is that I can fire the veteran at any time, and the veteran can fire me at any time. Also, there's a there's a paragraph in mine that says if I file a new claim for you, I understand that I'm working for free. So we have had people come in here. I had uh, I had a, a Beirut Air Force veteran, and he came in here. His his mother and stepdad brought him in here, and he had never filed a claim. And we took all his records and worked it up, and we filed his claim. And in 11 months, we got him 100 percent. But it was a new claim. It ha- there had not been a notice of disagreement filed on it, and I think it was just before that law changed anyway. We'll talk about that in a second. So I didn't get any fee on that. But I'm a big boy, you know, and I I, I knew that going in. I knew that, you know, but this young man needed help, and we helped him, and we took care of his problem. So you can get into situations with these new claims where you can't get paid. Now, another situation, of course, is you do all this work, you do all this work, and the veteran dies. And again, I'm a big boy. If I work for a sick veteran or an older veteran, I know that there's a chance that the veteran's going to die, and that's going to be the end of it if they're if they're not married. I've had them where they died. They were about to get a lot of money. I had a county service officer who who told a widow, a World War II widow, not to keep going on the claim, and and I was about to get a quarter of a million dollars for the family. 
And so they stood down and closed down the claim. Well, that's, you know, that's their business, I guess, you know. But I thought it was kind of foolish. I didn't see where signing your name and, and dating the line on a contract to, to allow me to continue could could uh, possibly be a, an onerous burden on this widow lady. And I thought that maybe the family could have used the quarter of a million dollars they cheated her late husband out of, but apparently not. So fees. So... To make it more complicated, you know, you're admitted to the court and you're you're able to take cases up at the court. Then the VA decided, well, they wanted to uh, to have accreditation of the attorneys to work down at the regional office level, and we must uh, sign our name in blood every year, and we have to prove that we've wasted a lot of time and money doing continuing training, and we've done all this stuff. And by the way, you, none of this stuff that you do in Social Security. Social Security Administration says, are you an attorney? Yes. Is your license good? Yes. Okay. You can represent people. If you win, you can get paid 25% up to $6,200 or something. is much more complicated than Social Security. Crazy complicated. The cases last three, four, five times longer. Rare is a Social Security case that goes on past four years. Very rare. Rare is a VA case that doesn't go on past four years. So it's just opposite. It's a flip. Now, so what kind of fee agreements can you get into? There's two basic kinds. Well, there's three, because some people are working for universities or nonprofits or something, and they're working for free. They're working pro bono. Okay, boom. They just, they're working for free. Maybe you have to pay your expenses. Then there's people that set it up so that the VA withholds the fee. If you win a fee, the VA holds it in escrow for 60 days, and then the so there's a chance for the veteran to come in and protest that fee and then the then you get paid the other type of fee agreement is a standard one third thirty three and a third percent a contingency fee agreement just like if you go down to the personal injury or medical malpractice lawyer they're going to charge you the same the same thing standard third the v a uh, general counsel says, oh, well, we're not going to withhold that because that's too much money. But it's legal, and the courts have said that that's a reasonable fee. All the courts have always said a third is, is a reasonable share. So we'll we'll allow that, but if, if, if that happens, the attorney has to go chase that money themselves. What happens around here, it's happened a lot is that we win the case. We've got the case, it's all done. We're 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 winning the case. It looks like we're going to win and the the some service officer gets the veteran aside down at the American Legion Hall or the VFW and says, "Well, you know, you can fire that attorney and then you don't have to pay him." Okay. So they send a letter down to the regional office and they fire me. Of course, they, they don't do me the courtesy of sending me the letter. 
so I call in, you know, to work on the case, and they say, oh, well, we can't talk to you about that case because you've been fired. Oh, well, that's interesting. So then we send a letter down to the attorney fee coordinator at that regional office, and we say, hey, I worked on this case for five years. And I think this case is about to pay, and if it does get paid, I'm reminding you to go back and take a look and see if any of that money is for me. And very often it happens that they go and look and they say, look, the attorney filed claims for you. Uh, some were granted and some were denied. He didn't get paid on those. And then he filed the NOD and he did all the work and he did your hearing and he took you up to the board and he won at the remand at the board and now it comes down and it's about to get paid and you fired him. But guess what? We think he did that work and we're going to pay the attorney. Now, there are attorneys that get into the case and they haven't been in the case very long and and all of a sudden the you know, the case pays and they haven't been in it very long and they get paid. Well, okay. That happens, you know. Then there's the cases where the guys think, "Oh, I won't hire the attorney." I'll do this myself. I just had one of those guys call in here the other day. Well, remember, I talked to you six years ago, and and, uh, and I decided I was going to do it myself. And I says, yeah, how's that working out for you? He says, I lost on all my issues. And I said, well, we're just talking. He says, well, I, you know, I want to hire you now. And I says, well, okay. Um, I'm 66 years old. I says, if you want to hire me, you better do it real skippy. I'm not going to be around here in six years. Okay. So these things do take a long time. They take a long run up. Now, VA law is complicated. And, you know, I had had one veteran on the old uh, uh, Agent Orange Parkinson's Yahoo group call me out because I was a scumbag attorney that took that took fees. And I said, well, actually, you know, here on the Yahoo group, you know, I just give you guys advice and tell you guys what to do, so you know, to keep your claims moving and how to win your case and little shortcuts and little ideas like that. I haven't charged any of you any money. But, um, you know, tell me, uh, Mr. Veteran, uh, you take your car into the mechanic and and have a new transmission put in. Does he do that for free? Because you're a nice guy. When the plumber comes over to the house and puts all new plumbing in your in your house and and uh, stops your pipes from breaking every other week, does he do that for free? When you go to the doctor, you know, and get a get a shot and and a checkup, does she do that for free? We all work. We all get paid to do something. And for the 16 million veterans in this country, the National Organization of Veterans Advocates has about 400 members. If you go to the court's website, if you go to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims website, there's a 
a link right on the, the home page. There's a link that says practitioners. It doesn't say attorney. It says practitioners, and there's a reason. Because remember, I said there are attorney representatives, non, non-attorney um, agents who are certified by the VA to do this work and collect a fee. And they're all listed there. Now, that's just anybody. That there's, I'm telling you, that's the big list. And then if you, but if you go over to the National Organization of Veterans Advocates website, you'll find a list there. It's a smaller list, but those are those tend to be the serious. That's the that's the big leagues. Okay. You don't have any idea. Uh, the the people on the the court's website can be somebody that was just admitted to the court yesterday, and their name's on there. There's no way to separate the sheep from the goats. But when you go over to NOVA, you know that those people tend to be really serious about veterans' benefits. They, It's mandatory when you're a NOVA member that you you attend at least one of the of the big training meetings. There's two training meetings a year. You have to you have to make to, to renew your membership. You have to attend one of those. So you got to stay on top of it. And this stuff is hard. We you know we talk about this. You guys talk about this on here every week. You know this stuff is this stuff is is neck deep. It's tough. It's not easy. It's not easy for attorneys. And you know one of the big problems is attorneys are used to rules. And they play by the rules. And as you know, the VA is a bar fight. There are no rules. Except, you know, he who grabs grabs the first cue stick wins, I guess. But um, should attorneys be paid? Well, I think so. Um, the biggest the biggest fee we ever had in this office was about $330,000, and it was a pro bono case. It was a case that we knew it was before the law changed in June of 2007. And we knew that based on the posture of the case that that if we won it, we wouldn't get paid. But it was the right thing to do. We went, we won the case, and we got the guy paid. I didn't even get a Christmas card from the guy. But uh, should attorneys be paid? Yeah. Should auto workers be paid? Go in and, and... Work on the assembly line every day, you bet. You know, day's work for a day's pay. Uh, Bob, uh, what about if an attorney fires a a client? Say, look, uh, you you're such a jerk. <laughs> I don't want to represent you anymore. Okay, you just Good. handed me, bugged me, and all this and that, and right. and you know. I'm fired. Yeah. Yep, I'm. I've fired a few, but I'm. I'm pretty tolerant of people, and I put up with a lot more than most attorneys will. Um, but at some point in time, and and I'm. I'm. Ta- I had to fire a guy one time. I. I got. He got him to a hundred percent, but I think he had a lot of back pay coming. But he would call five times a day. I already had him to a hundred percent. That was the first thing I said, right? So here's a guy who's 100%. We're working on his retro. We're trying to get him a little more pay on a Q claim. And he's calling five times a day. And I couldn't get any work done. And I ran him off. 
a lot of the attorneys, when when they get you to TDIU or 100%, you're gone. I stay in the cases, and especially for the married fellows, I stay in trying to get them up to 100% because, as you guys know, TDIU often won't translate into, into widow's benefits. And if a guy's got, like, say, 70% for PTSD and he dies... And he's only had that benefit for about five years. He's he's running a big risk. There's, there's probably it's almost a sure bet that the widow's not going to get DIC. So I stay in those cases, even though there's not a potential for them to make much money. We stay in. And another thing that's been going on is the VA has been on this reign of terror, this jihad against the the guys, uh, the vets with TDIU, uh, sending out that 21. 4140 form. And everybody out there, if you guys get that form in the mail, you better do about three things. Fill it out right away, make yourself a copy, and send it in, fax it in to the to the web portal. You know, either if you're on the east side, you know, in Noonan, Georgia, if you're on the west side in Janesville, Wisconsin, and then send it in to, the, to your portal, to your to your center via certified mail return receipt because what they're going to do if they if they don't get that is they're going to bounce back on you in a couple months and take your TDIU away and then you'll be chasing the horse out across the desert for a couple of years to get it back take that serious it is serious business well we've had about six or seven of these come in where the form was never sent to the veteran. And then they get a proposal to sever. We sent you the form, and you didn't fill it out and send it back to us, so we're going to sever your TDIU, buddy. Now, we've been able to get those in and get them faxed in and, and, and get that stopped in, every, in all but one case. I had one young guy who had child, small children and child support and stuff, and, and he has benefits whacked so it can be a big mess so all I'm saying is that we stay in and we watch those cases most of the law offices do not as soon as they get you to the point of what they agreed to do in the fee agreement they cut you free and they terminate the power of attorney uh, the other thing is the veteran can can terminate services at any time that's fine but, uh, you know, one of the, the examples I use is the analogy is so, you you know, you come into a, a big fancy restaurant with a group of five people. You sit down, you have a, a five-course meal, you, you, you get a couple of the bottles of the most expensive wine in the place. When the meal's all over, uh, you get up and, and have a big tirade because the, the ice in your, in your glass of water melted and stomp out and don't pay the $500 bill. You know, that's we call that being a deadbeat, okay? And there's people, by the way, who pull that trick. I've seen that. I mean, it's not, I'm just making that up. I've seen that kind of stuff done. Because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of wealthy people got to be wealthy by, by doing little nefarious tricks like that. All right, so if... If you're if you're just parting ways, that's fine. 
you know, I've had people, you know, call me up and say, hey, I want to go a different direction. That's fine. But the work I did is the work I did. And then that's the call of the attorney fee coordinator to look at that and say, well, you know, at the time that the services were terminated, this was already in the pipeline and this was going to happen and no more work was done. And it was, you know, the attorney did the work that resulted in the payout, so he gets his 20%. Or, you know, uh, it wasn't far enough along and, and you didn't. I've had cases where other attorneys took it over. And, you know, they would call me up and say, hey, you did some work in here. I didn't know you were in here, but I see you did a lot of work in here. You want your fee? And then that's something we, you know, we talk back and forth. I don't take them. And uh, I've had, I found them, you know, where I took cases over from, from other fellas, and I call them up, and sometimes they, they want some of the fee, and sometimes they don't. But we, we talk about that. But that's, you know, our business. But the first mission of representing a veteran is to figure out what claims they have, what the, where they stand in the process, and to win the claims, and to get rid of the claims that are silly. I had one uh, guy down in Ohio, and he had about ten claims. And four of them were really VA claims, and the other six was all stuff that had happened in a car wreck. The guy had been out of the military for 20 years, and it was stuff that ha- had happened in a car wreck about two years before. And this wasn't a pension claim. It was a comp claim. I said, what's this stuff doing in here? So I told the guy, I says, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're dropping all those claims because they're just, it's just dust up in the air, just muddying up the water, and get them out of there. And then we're going to work on these claims here, and this is what we're going to do, bing, bing, bing. And I did all those things, and I got it going along. And I didn't hear anything about that case, and I didn't hear anything about that case. And we finally went and checked into that case in Cleveland and said, oh, you've been fired, son. You're you're out of it. Just, okay. So about three years goes by, and, and uh, late last year, about October, that boy's wife calls up in here. Oh, we lost at the board. Would Mr. Walsh represent us? And the secretary said, no, I think he's busy for about three lifetimes. <laughs> he's he's going to be tied up for about 300 years. Uh, so, you know, you might be able to cut a few corners. You might be able to... Uh, save a buck or two. Here's here's what I used to I, I tell prospective clients. I says, right now, buddy, you got a hundred percent of nothing. And the question is, is is eighty percent of a hundred percent better than a hundred percent of nothing? Now, there's another myth going around started our local DAV guy. He he, he was a big one for this. Uh, oh, well, you know, the attorney's going to get 20% of your monthly check forever for the rest of your life. That is horse pucky. That is absolutely false. The attorney gets paid two things. The expenses of the case. Now, the expenses of the case around here sometimes are getting an IME, an independent medical evaluation from an expensive doctor. Sometimes a thousand or two thousand dollars. 
But before we do that, we talk it over with the veteran, right? And and paying your postage and paying for copies, and sometimes we have to go out and buy these private medical records. I've spent $400 in a case going out and getting private medical records and getting them in the file. Because if they're just out there and they're not in the file, they don't do you any good. You've got to go get them, and you've got to turn them into the VA. And the VA says they, they'll go get them, and they never do. So, again, waiting for them to do it is waiting forever. So you got to get it done. And the first thing we do when we get into a case is we go digging around, making sure we've, we've got all the private records and military records and all the different VA medical centers around the country, and we've got all that stuff put into the claims file where it can do us some good. So that costs money and it costs time. That So we got to get paid back for that. And once you've done that, maybe some travel expense to go to Washington or come down to a to a hearing at the regional office, you know, some gas money or something. But outside of that, those are your expenses. And then there's the fee. I charge the, I do the 20% fee, and I let the government hold it back. Sometimes the government files up. They don't hold it back. Sometimes they don't tell us. And they don't always agree with us that, you know, that that uh, a fee should pay. Sometimes we get into a dispute, and it ends up going up on appeal. The some of the attorneys collect their own fees. They you know they figure out what the thirty percent is and they work with you and then they they go and do that. I'm I just I'm a small office. It's just me and the one part time assistant. I don't I can't do that. So I let the I let the government fuss with it. So that's what's fair. Now let's talk about the big scandal here in town. We had a we we ended up in the in the stars and stripes here, our our county service officer. The county in Michigan, each county runs an office, a veterans office. They screen cases and help with that, and then they're supposed to refer them on to the various service officers. In this case, our guy was uh, telling people, well, you know, the attorney, there's there's the local NBC affiliate, uh, WOTV, got. 29 pages of emails. This guy was using the government email talking to veterans negotiating to get paid for doing the veterans work. Well, he was being paid $65,000 by the county to do this work. He wasn't supposed to be charging them anything. But he would just let you know that, well, if you don't pay me, maybe your stuff will get lost, your paperwork will get lost, or it won't get processed very quickly, I guess. Then he would he would extort a payment out of these people. And there was all kinds of things. Uh, well, give me some money because i got a truck payment due, or, uh, you know, pay me some, pay me some money. And I, I won't charge you 20% like that evil, greedy attorney. I'll just charge you 10%. Horse trade and negotiate. Now, this guy also, one of the downsides of this little scam was that he didn't want, he would he would look at these cases and he would skim the cream. He'd look at the cases that looked like they had a real good chance of winning. But here in Michigan with Detroit, what happens is, is often, for instance, a PTSD claim on the first round, you might only get 50%. So then you need to appeal, right? Well... He would appeal that and see how he did at the next level. 
But then if you needed to go to to court, if he saw where an attorney was going to come into it or a service organization was going to come into it, uh, he would tell you, well, you know, you, you shouldn't appeal because uh, that's, that's, that's most they're paying for that. You know, you just you forget about it. Because he didn't want anybody finding out that he illegally charged a fee. Well, finally, he told this widow lady who was trying to file a DIC claim that uh, she had to pay him, and she said, I don't think so. And she went to the NBC TV station. Their investigative team went into it, and they went out there, and this guy's got a nice big house, and he's got a Bentley sitting in the garage. Wow. So apparently... um, this work is a lot more lucrative than I had come to understand. See, because I don't, I got a rusty old 2006 Ford, so apparently I'm not doing this right. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, you know, I wasn't getting paid sixty-five thousand dollars by the county and and having them pay my rent and give me a computer and a telephone so that I could I could use use it for my own business of, of extorting fees from veterans. But anyway, uh, somebody said, well, do you think he's going to go to prison? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I One of the, uh, I think the chief assistant United States attorney for the Western District of Michigan uh, also answers to the, also answers to the, the when, when you, when you holler, gunny, so, so does he have a problem? I do not know, but I think he does. So that's uh, that's been going on here for about two months, and that was a big deal. I mean, that was in Stars and Stripes. Okay, that was all over like fleas on a hound dog. So we've got a classic example right here in town of no, you can't. So if a service officer or a even an attorney that you don't have a fee agreement with, you know, wants to charge you money, the answer is no. You've got to enter into the contract, and the VA, you have to arrive at the point where you have won on a notice of disagreement or a BVA appeal, and you have won the case, and you've paid out a fee, and then the the, the attorney or claims representative gets their percentage that you've agreed on, either 20 or a third, plus expenses out of the past due. Now, I've got a guy right now that owes me about $8,000 in expenses, and I haven't collected him because he's just living on 800 bucks a month. He can't pay it. But when we win that case, I expect him to do two things. One is pay those 8,000 expenses and pay my fee. You know, and then we'll be friends. We'll, we'll part friends. So that's not unreasonable. I've carried him, you know, for about eight years on that money because we had to go out and buy a big doctor's report and then and then we got turned down again. It happens. Okay, does that kind of clear the air a little bit on this attorney fee business? I think one it more. does. Uh, uh, Bob. Oh, <clears throat> go ahead, John. Got one more, Bob. Uh, my folks had some questions on the site the other day. They were discussing the uh, Equal Act for Justice Amendment and how those fees are paid. And okay, okay. Fund. Sure, sure. Equal Act for Equal Access to Justice Act are fees that in Social Security cases and VA cases and equal employment opportunity cases get paid if you win. So if you win, they'll pay uh, 
they'll pay the attorney's cost and fees at the court. Just the, that's just the in court fees. And what they do is then we we figure out what that is. So like if I get three thousand dollars, which is a pretty typical EJA fee around here, for working at the court. Later on, when we win the case and get paid, that money will get offset. Okay. So, in other words, the the EJA fee gets paid directly to the attorney for his or her time in the case. But later on, when you win and you get that retro payment, you get a credit for that three thousand, five thousand dollars, whatever. That's how EJA works. Now, I had I had a guy get mad. I had a marine get mad because I got EJA fees. Well, I took him from. 30% up to 90% in TDIU, I figured I'd done a pretty good job for him. And then we won on an issue, and I got some EJA fees. And he said, well, you got paid all that money. And I said, well, I did, and we won a remand. And, of course, then it took a year and a half for the board to issue the remand order and send it back to Detroit. It just come back to Detroit, and he came in here and picked up his records. He was mad. I I was just getting paid for doing nothing. So I don't know how that worked out, but I don't particularly care. But the but the point is that you get these EJA fees, they are they are subject to offset. That's that's the VA rule on that. I'm not sure Social Security worries about that so much as the VA does, but the VA General Counsel really worries about attorneys getting paid. So they do everything they can to make sure that attorneys don't, represent veterans and then they make sure that they don't get paid when they do. So that's the that's sort of the the lay of the land about attorney fees. Uh, uh Bob, I I was uh the way I was reading it there on ad it the, the people seem concerned about if their attorney fired them or they fired their attorney. Now I would <laughs> naturally assume that, you know, it depends on on the circumstances. Each case is going to be different, of course. If, if you had an attorney that you'd been with for a year or so and they had done some work and you decided you didn't no longer want them representing you and you fired them, they had that time invested and 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 obviously some funds invested, so I would feel that you do have an obligation to that attorney well here's the here's the way the v a looks at it though the v a looks for benchmarks, and the v a looks for benchmarks in decisions uh-huh okay, so they issue a rating decision, and the attorney files the notice of disagreement for you. Okay. It goes up to the board. The board says, "Yeah, you guys were right," and they issue a favorable decision. Well, as you know, the board doesn't pay the case. The case has to come back to the regional office to be paid, and there's usually a you know, about a 1-year gap here in Michigan and there. And during that time, that's when I seem to always get fired, you know, a couple of months before the payday comes. Oh my. And so what the VA does, the VA fee coordinator, is they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out here, time out, wait. Who did this work? 
not the new American Legion or DAV guy. They didn't do anything. You know, the attorney was in here for three years, filed the NOD, filed the VA-9, uh, had two hearings, came back. Now they're waiting to get paid, and all of a sudden you fire them because they didn't do a good job? That's a little suspicious. Well, yes, I would say that would be. And that's normally what we have around here. If we if we part ways, we usually part ways early on, you know, when we haven't done too much work. You know, it's obvious that we're not going to get along. Or we, we look into these cases and find out there's no there there, you know, that the case is just no good. Uh, I've had some fakers come in here. You know, if I, if I find a phony, I'm telling you, I'm firing them. They're out of here, okay? And I've had a few. Well, I was in Vietnam. Well, you would have been 15 years old when the Vietnam War ended, so you're on a kitty hitch, I guess. You know, I've had those. I don't play that. So sometimes I fire people, but most usually, you know, people fire me. The the, the big way that representation ends in this office is my clients die. I've had four of them die at their own hand. I've had four suicides, but mostly, you know, my clients die. Standing in line waiting. But well, that uh, sounds real Well, it's it's just the it's it's the it's the reality, you know, I had uh back in uh I think January, I think we lost uh I lost ten of my friends uh in uh, in fourteen days. Uh, only two of them were clients, but man oh man, you know. The World War Two vets are going fast, you know. Yes, they are. And the Vietnam vets are going past. Too. I understand 80% of the Vietnam vets are are dead, and I think that's true based on what I'm seeing around here. A lot of them younger than me go, and I, I really hate to read obituaries for, for guys younger than me. That's really depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. But at, at any rate, I, I was assuming that the attorney, whether they fired you or you fired them, if it had a year or so in in the claims process, I mean in your claim, involved in your claim, uh, he should be entitled, or he or she, anyway, they should be entitled to a portion of the uh of the twenty percent now. Well, yeah, but that's right. If you get a new attorney, as you mentioned, you uh, that you would discuss with a new attorney. Uh, right. But but what really happens? Yeah. But what really happens here is that that they don't do it that way, and it's all based on the specific work you did, and that there's there's three kind of things that will get an attorney paid. A win, a, a notice of disagreement, and you win. A BVA decision where you win, and a court decision where you win. And you can, you know, you can work on a case for a year or two waiting, waiting for the VA to finally issue a rating decision if you've come into the case, you know, waiting for the regional office to issue a decision. That may be a denial so that you can appeal it. You know, and and then you're into the money 
part of it. Like I said, we've had guys walk in here with brand new claims. We filed all their claims, helped them file their 21-526, won their case. They're out the door, and they don't pay us anything. They don't owe us anything. And we want to get that law changed. We think, you know, so over in Social Security, if I help somebody file their Social Security case and work up their case and everything, and, and they win real quick, there may not be much money there. There may be only two, $300, but at least I'd get paid something, but not in VA land. All right, guys, that's, uh, that's a good show. That's what I've got. Well, that sounds good. We appreciate you coming on, Bob. Uh, uh, that, uh, I think I clarified a lot of it, uh, what they were, the questions that were asked there on had it. Uh, it, it really, uh, well, each case is going to be different, naturally, but it boils down, and the end result is you contact the uh, regional office. Yep, the fee, attorney fee coordinators are the people that answer those questions. That's right. And uh, that's, uh, that resolves the whole, whole situation, yay or nay. Yep, yep. And, you know, even if the attorney if the attorney fee coordinator rules against the vet and says we're going to pay the case, they can still file their appeal and they can still fight it. But... Right. Okay. Uh Okay, unless there was someone in the office. <laughs> yeah, good luck there. Yeah. All right, Bob. Appreciate you coming on. Okay. Look forward to having okay. you back on. See you next time. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Well, that uh, that enlightened us uh, somewhat. Yeah, but you figure, too, that uh, attorneys really don't come into play until you have a denial. I know a lot of attorneys will tell you, if you don't come and see me until you've got a denial letter in your hand. Well, true. That, that kind of yeah. makes sense. Uh, you don't need one until you got a denial. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice if you could get one to help you write the thing up from the get-go. I think it would mm-hmm. stop a lot of these denials. But... Uh, Maybe not. I don't know. No, it's VA, part of the system, buddy. Yeah, it's uh, it's by design that uh, a veteran's going to have a, a, a rough road to hoe. And, it's and, the uh, VA alphabet, Gerald. Yeah. You know the VA alphabet, A9, B9, C9, D9. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear that. But it is time-consuming, and, and it's not going to happen overnight. And people filing the claim uh, just realize that. Uh, it, it's a time-consuming procedure, and the VA don't uh, make it any easier on you. I understand some of the nerve that's uh, coming back from the Middle East of it appears that the BA has uh, advanced theirs, jumped theirs over the ones that were were already in the system and and uh, doing something with those those veterans. Well, Gerald, it's a timing issue. You know what I mean? Look at Vietnam. It, it ended nineteen seventy-five, right? Yeah. We didn't get the and we didn't get the NEMR decisions to win the two thousands, two thousand five. Yeah, so like was it that. 30 years? 
So you figure about 30 years from the time that that war is over until these guys start getting them. Yeah, it's and, 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 and like he said, uh, uh, 80% of the Vietnam veterans have already passed on. That's horrible. Yeah, well, anytime you cook something, let alone it tenderizes real good, the meat gets real mushy and tender. So they're cooking, now they're going to start cooking the Gulf War vets the same way. Because a little bunch I'm of them die off. Same way with Project, Project 112 and Shad. Yeah. You know, we're not going to do anything to, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, they're, they're forgotten, uh, they're, uh, you know, that's exterminated, I guess you could say. Well, that could and, be a word used in that area, but it's just, I guess they can want to get the numbers manageable before they can pay anything. That's more or less a stall tactic, and it's, we know that's a good tactic to use, the old stall tactic. Well, uh, delay is the same as uh, denial, so they delay yeah. as long as they can, and they know the percentage of veterans that's going to pass on, pass away, and, and uh, at least now the spouse can continue on with the claim. Uh, yes, substitution. Yeah.
broadcast was beneficial to y'all. And uh, if not, we'll, by golly, we'll do, do another one. Uh, we want to get this through to you so you understand it. If you don't understand something, ask a question. And uh, this will be uh, Gerald Cook uh, with Jay Basser. Uh, we'll be uh, signing off for now. You've been listening to the head. You have been listening to the Basser Hour. The Basser Hour is brought to you by Hadit.com. You've been listening to the Hadit.com blog talk radio show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or blog talk radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com blog talk radio and the Ask Basser Show. <laughs>